Welcome to Potadelphia. My name is Gene Zilak. You can find me on Twitter at Producer Gene, and I'm here with a guy who strangely does not miss preseason football. What's up, Chuck? <laughs> hey, Gene. Uh, yes, this is Chuck Siders. You can find me at Chuck Siders. You can find the show at Potadelphia. You can find Dave Diorio at fat underscore lobster, but you're not going to hear him on the show this week. Dave's on vacation with his family. Um, and I haven't thought once about preseason football. And my God, was the Hall of Fame game. That used to be... That used to be the oasis in a shitty summer. Like, it would be, you know, I guess early August, you know, right around this time. Um, the, <laughs> the Phils had already managed to squander away their season. And you're just looking for any any hope for the fall, any hope for cool weather, any relief that football might be around the corner. And you'd watch abysmal preseason football just grasping at straws and hoping for entertainment i i think i've asked like has like has training camp started like what's going on apparently carson wentz has like dad bod which means he's like 250 of pure muscle as opposed to like 245 of pure muscle And as as a dad who does not carry pure muscle, I'm offended. Um, but no, no, I have not thought about the Eagles once because they're what are only one of our teams not playing. Yeah, that's the the strange world that we're living in. Is uh, it's early August, and instead of getting psyched up for our fantasy football drafts or uh, trying to figure out who the fifth running back is going to be, uh, we had uh, Flyers playoff hockey this week. Uh, and man, did we have basically two night and day performances out of our hockey team here in August. So um, do you want to touch on game two a little before we, we break down tonight's game, even if it's yeah, just in passing? Yeah, let, let's do that, because if we don't touch on it now, we're not going to do it at all. And um, this is you know what we label one of our raw nerve episodes, uh, the Game three of the Flyers Hab series just ended. We hopped on to record this. And a couple of days ago, our tone would have been rather different. That Friday night game, well, Friday afternoon game, a, a literal tale of night and day, because that was certainly during the day, because I was day drinking while watching that game. Right. And who boy, did I need it pretty damn quick. That was, that was ugly on friday so chuck i mean as somebody that's watched uh, more hockey probably than i have you know you've probably watched more hockey in one season than i have maybe in my whole life um what what do <laughs> you would, that might be true <laughs> what do you attribute the the early uh, i don't know if we want to call it success but what do you attribute montreal's different look to game two like was there a, a an adjustment that you saw in the lineup was it simply a win one for the gipper scenario did they just i, I was it that the flyers were smelling their aftershave I, what, what what happened i think you could say a little bit of any or all three of those um it, it's something i touched upon i don't think we went too deep too much detail we always sort of skirted around the topic of return to play and how these seasons might be different. But something I touched on before is 
look at the beginning of any hockey season. There's a team that comes out hot that is like, where did Buffalo come from? Who who knew Buffalo was going to be good? And then by the end of the season, they fall apart. Uh, Montreal, even I forget when I can't keep track of years anymore, but Montreal had a hot start maybe two years ago and then nothing really came of it. And this, they've had a hot start. You know, they took out, um, they took out the Penguins. And it, if we did anything last episode, and and by we, I definitely mean me, um, we certainly underestimated the Habs. You know, I thought they were playing well. And I thought they took advantage of a Pittsburgh team that that wasn't clicking yet. And if you want to say anything about the Habs, they're fucking clicking. You know, they are playing like it's the regular season. Or, well, I mean, they're playing like it's the playoffs, but they're playing like they've had several months under their belt. They're capitalizing on a lot of mistakes. And in game two, we saw a continuation of the second period of game one. There, um, the Canadians... Uh, controlled uh, the pace of play. They capitalized on every turnover. Their forecheck was unrelenting. You know, if you go back and look at game two of this series, and God, why would you want to? But if you did, <laughs> if you did, you would see the Flyers couldn't hold the puck for, for shit. They, they'd get possession, and you'd have someone from Montreal all over them. And... You know, that win one for the Gipper, um, if if people don't know, and I'm sure you do, uh, Montreal's head coach, Claude Julien, a celebrated, well-liked um, Stanley Cup winning coach with the uh, the Bruins, coach of the the Habs, went to the hospital, had a, had a stent put in, had heart surgery, and is home recuperating in Montreal. And they have uh, an assistant coach... Um, Behind the bench, I'm blanking on his name. Who's there? Do you, do you remember who their assistant is? I don't remember, but I, I will say that it gave me a, sort of like a, a little bit of a flashback to several in, instances where the Flyers have had assistant coaches take over teams. As uh, you know, if you think just back to last year, where you have that sort of uh, you know instant sort of almost boost that you get, uh, you know, to your stats when you have that assistant coach kind of step behind the bench that seems to carry for like. 10 games after that first starts. I certainly yeah, think that I'm... we saw that with uh, with the Flyers last year. And I, I guess my, the other, other thing that sort of came to mind when I was watching the game yesterday is, um, do you think that just the this particular style of play that Montreal has, A, it, it sort of bodes well for the kind of playoffs that we're in, whereas there's not a lot of, home ice advantage per se I mean you have the the last change thing but it's not like they had to come into a hostile environment as well as um do all of that traveling so when you're playing a speed game or or looking for teams to make mistakes sometimes that fatigue can probably uh linger a little longer when you you're you're going you know you're traveling uh, or you have traveled and you're coming into a hostile environment. Now in sort of a, a neutral vacuum sort of space when you've been sort of accustomed to what's going on and you can sort of have know where your body is at, and they've been playing at this level for a week longer basically than, than the Flyers have, 
do you think that that sort of a style bodes well when you don't have the other extenuating factors that can really amp up fatigue in a playoff series? Um, probably. Yeah. It's a, and, uh, Kirk Muller is the guy behind the bench. I, it was someone I knew from his playing days and, uh, Kirk McLean was like popping my head. I'm like, ah, oh, that's not right. Um, but no, their, their style definitely lends itself to a matchup against the flyers and probably this playing in a vacuum as well, because, you know, think of playing against the Devils, and they're, the 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 Habs are not running a trap or any modern version of a tap, trap. They're just a defensive-minded team, a tight-checking team. But their game is to suck the life out of you. Well, the the life has already been sucked out of you. There's no home crowd to to amp you up. There's there's nothing there. And, you know, you talk about maybe their style bodes well when you don't have to put up with the travel and the hotel and the not sleeping or sleeping in an odd bed or whatever the case may be. But I think also the fire style benefits from an audience. It benefits from... I mean, Travis Konechny, Kevin Hayes, um, Jake Voracek, Scott Lawton. These guys have a, a, a really big chip on their shoulder. These guys are kind of pricks. And they love riling up the home crowd and silencing the away crowd. And they got nothing. They have nothing to play off of. And now I'm not saying that's the reason Game 2 happened. Game 2 happened for a lot of reasons. You know, like you said, Gene, Montreal's been playing playoff hockey for a week before the Flyers were. And it, they just took it to them. And I, I mentioned the second period of game one that happened there. Um, so it was a real continuation of that. And once, once there was blood, man, Montreal did not let up. And, you know, you have guys like uh, Suzuki. Uh, Nick Suzuki is making a name for himself. He he did so in the Penguins series. He's doing so again. He is a, a factor for the Canadians. Um, you have, uh, what is the Finnish kid? I'm going to try not to butcher it. Kakaniemi has been all over the place there. And then also, you know, you think about, you know, what you build a team around. Shea Weber has been a presence, man. He is Chris Pronger uh, in the 2010 run of going like, hey, I got the back end, uh, along with uh, Sherratt. Yeah, Sherratt's been really good. Yeah, Sherratt's been all over the place in a good way. There to, you go, Dave. That'll make you happy when I say that. To a certain degree, uh, like you expected that out of Weber. Like you sort of know what you're getting into. But when they're getting yeah. contributions from some other guys that are maybe not necessarily what you'd call headliners, uh, it, it certainly it certainly makes you remember them now. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You don't leave you don't leave tonight's game without knowing the name Sherratt. Um you don't leave these first three games without knowing it. And you're right, the, the headliners of your Weber, your Price, who has 
Price has been better this series than he was against the Penguins, and he was damn good against the Penguins. You know, um, we'll get to tonight's game in just a moment, but Price has been really damn good. Um, Brendan Gallagher, um, Mike Milbury seemed to be giving him a hard time tonight, but I think Gallagher has been a presence for the the Canadians all throughout. So, you know, that goes to show you, if your stars show up um, and you have a lot of good pieces that you can really succeed... Um, and now we've spent like 10 minutes talking about the Canadians. Maybe we should talk about the Flyers and the fact that they won tonight. Yeah, I was just going to say, so to a certain degree, you, you have to almost say after game two, well, clearly the, the Canadians are not, I don't know that they're five, nothing or whatever, better than the Flyers over seven, you know, for seven games. And I certainly don't think that the Flyers are as bad as, uh, as getting blown, having their doors blown off uh, by the Canadians every night. So w- w- if you're if you're Elaine Vigneault tonight uh, or going into Game Three, w- what would what do you think was a maybe his message to the team? Uh, and and do you think that the couple of tweaks I know there was definitely two major adjustments to the lineup going into this game. Do you think that those were uh, big factors in how the result changed or um you know do you think that this was just a a more of a return to the mean um i i think i think the the changes definitely settled the flyers and it looked like a return to the mean from the regular season, but I really don't want to undervalue the fact that this is not a playoff savvy team there are definitely people on the Flyers who have been in the playoffs. Uh, Matt Niskanen is the only person in this series ha- that has a Stanley Cup ring. Um, but there, there's not a lot of playoff experience on the Flyers, or at the very least, not a lot of playoff success on the Flyers. And I'm not, this is not a shot at anybody. This isn't a critique at anybody, but there's no mean to speak of. There's no hey, look, this is this is Travis Konechny back in his playoff form. Travis Konechny, Konechny barely has a playoff form to speak about. Right, we're looking you at know, his playoff form. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, Provorov played his heart out against the Penguins two years ago, but that was that, and it was two years ago. It was his rookie season. There, a lot has happened since. And he's a very different player from when he, where he was. He's a lot more polished a player than when he was in that series. He, he was that that series. I mean, it, I'm thinking about it, you know, pretty far removed now, so it's hard to put a pin on it. But Provorov had a wonderful rookie season, and this third season of his has been better still. His playoffs have been phenomenal. This is uh, a, a friend of mine. Uh, on Twitter, um, Suzanne always refers to him as future Norris Trophy winner, um, Ivan Provorov. And you're seeing a lot of that this series. But to talk about the changes that um, happened for tonight's game, you saw them early and you saw them often throwing a lot of pucks on net. You know, just just get them out there. And that especially helps, you know, you you might want to talk about low percentage chances or whatever the case may be, 
but it gets over the the mental stigma, the the mental hang up that we can't beat Carey Price, and it's not this group of flyers, but many several years ago when they face off against um, Henrik Lundqvist, you would see it. Lundqvist would make three stops and then have shut out the flyers. The flyers could throw thirty more shots on them that night, but they're going to be low percentage shots and. Giroux would take the shot, throw his hands up in the air. We're not going to beat. We're not going to beat Henrik Lundqvist tonight. And even though the Flyers only scored once against Carey Price tonight, that was not the case. They were throwing pucks on net early and often. Um, any angle, you know, Mike Milbury. I'm not one to complain about the announcers too much, and I know people hate Milbury, and um, I don't like him, but he just had the gift for overstatement so much tonight and the one thing about it was on the the flyers goal um i think it ultimately ended up being that Giroux cannon with the redirect by voracek i think that's what the case was yeah that's how they scored it yeah and um they're talking well yeah you gotta get an ugly one sometime I'm like, well, yeah, that's exactly what they were trying for. They right. were trying for pretty. They were trying for throw pucks on net, see what happens. You have a lot of talented people to redirect, to provide a screen, to bounce something off of. And they did that early. And that continued definitely throughout the first period, parts of the second as well. Um, the other changes you alluded to was losing, I guess, Potadelphia's favorite, Um you know, Farah B, <laughs> Farah Fawcett, Honeybee, uh, Joel Farabee out of the lineup. Uh, Shane Goss Despair out of the lineup. And I, before I get into my thoughts, Gene, what, what's your gut instinct? What what was your visceral reaction to hearing those lineup changes? Well, I, I didn't ex- I, I knew that that was going to cause – there's you know, when you take out Farabee, you know, there's going to be a ripple effect in the other lines. Um, mm-hmm. So I was I was curious to see if uh, – what I was expecting to see was one of the other lines sort of take shape and, and step up, uh, which I, th- I think you did see. There were some really positive shifts, especially from the bottom six. Um, what I was pleasantly surprised by was how – positive and I don't know if this was a direct result of this move but certainly how positive and and pretty consistently throughout the whole game it's certainly the way it opened that first line really wanted to put their stamp on particularly this game and and this series uh and I don't know if that's just a matter of seeing that Vino's willing to uh, you know, even though Farabee's been playing really well lately, this is a guy that's going to do what he needs to do to uh, get the results that he's he's looking for. And and it doesn't matter whether your name's Voracek or or Farabee or or Gostaspare. If you're not doing your job, if you're not playing, you know, the system that the way it needs to be played, the Flyers are a deep squad, and there's somebody that's going to be able to come up behind you. And that's going to do the job. And the margin, I think, in this series is not as great as a one seed and a 12 seed. And you can look at it in this sense. The Flyers came into the round robin as the four seed. And, you know, so are they a dominant one seed? Uh, You know, are they, you know, are they a mid-90s Duke? Probably not. 
Um, <laughs> you know, the the Canadians came in a 12 seed. Are they uh, absolutely They're the Gonzaga. worst? Gonzaga. You know, They're what I mean, 100 Gonzaga. Are they the worst team that came into this into this Toronto bubble uh, playing at this? At this time, I don't think that that's even close to true. So you you end yeah. up having a team that this you know this uh, even though it's a one eight, it, it's looking a lot more like a like a mid a mid group sort of matchup that that you know you would expect to see a little bit less of a of a of an edge one way or the other. So I think we, we were talking a little earlier about how you know this Flyers team doesn't have a lot of playoff experience, but the one thing that's different um, is that the coach does have playoff experience and does have playoff success. So, uh, and I think the other thing that's different about this right now is the guy between the pipes. You did yeah. not have the stability in net uh, for the Flyers when they went to the Stanley Cup in a, you know in 2010. Not not this kind <laughs> not of even close. Not not, not, even not this close. kind of stability. This is yeah. the most stable goaltending situation that the Flyers have had in two generations, probably. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, I mean, the last time was probably like mid 80s Hextall that it's been this this clear cut that you have true absolute talent in in net not just a guy that's got hot you know this is a this is a talented talented goaltender so you have the combination of a coach that has pedigree and has taken teams on deep runs and playoffs and you have a solid goaltender that right there automatically sort of makes the difference and I think that that's what you're seeing is if you were looking at the 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 flyers from 2 years ago or 3 years ago uh when those things did not exist this team after game 2 would not have had the performance that they had tonight they would have continued to snowball and uh and collapse or devolve and taken a lot more bad penalties than they did and you would have seen a very different kind of game I think this was exactly the kind of game even though it was a nail biter um you know, and really they should have scored more than they did. And there are certainly problems with certain special teams, we'll say. Um, but <laughs> this was exactly the game that this Flyers team needed to have. They needed to show that, yes, Montreal, we have now taken your best punch and we have not shown you ours yet. And I still believe that. I, have they seen maybe the best Carter Hart? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But you know, the, the a playoff shutout is a pretty good statement, especially against your mentor. Yeah, uh, lots of really good points there, Gene. Lots of really good points there. I want to start with the have we seen have they seen the best Carter Hart maybe and in a combination of game one and game three and game two. He was not bad. That was a mercy pulling. He was not responsible for those four goals. Um, he, he did actually let up uh, some juicier rebounds than normal, but after that onslaught, that was not his fault. Throw game two out, don't even worry about it. Um, yeah, you don't want a kid to end up like down like six or seven, nothing, and have that in his head. Yeah, no, 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 you don't do it to him, you don't do it to him because he is that franchise goalie, and you have you, a veteran backup who, and that's why you have Brian Elliott where he is. Yeah, yeah and Brian Elliott played well in the round robin only let up one goal in that game yeah uh montreal caught off the dogs to some extent except for the fact they put out their top power play which even though their top power play has not been very good just like the flyers but hard this one nothing win tonight 
doesn't happen the exact same way with any other goaltender in the last five years. You know, Hart was not even his most impressive tonight. He was the number one star of the game, deserved to be, won the game for the Flyers by this one nothing margin. Because any other goalie that we've had recently, we, it wouldn't have been one nothing. We might have won three to one, you know, but the Flyers could not have slowed the game down. They couldn't have gone punch for punch with with uh, Montreal. It was something I was thinking of earlier. We sort of said, hey, we can play your game tonight. They were still better on the turnovers. They were still better on capitalizing on, on mistakes than the Flyers were. But it was, you want to play some heavy hockey? You want to play some slow hockey? You want to play some one nothing hockey? Yeah, we can do it too. And our guy is just as good as yours. And we can and... hit. That was the other thing I thought that the Flyers really changed from game two to game three is they were much more physical and not just yes. like one or two guys came out and wanted to take uh, take a couple of runs at people everybody was hit first play the puck second it seemed you know what i mean <laughs> they you yeah. know anytime there was a clean you know and it was mostly clean licks anytime mm -hmm. they had the chance to lay a body on a canadian uh they did and i think that that was one of those things where it was like we're not just going to let you because you're the lower seed, be the grinding team. Like, we, mm -hmm. you know, we can get down and muck with you if that's the way you want to play this series. Um, yeah. So, you know, whatever way you want to do it, that that's the, the strength I think the Flyers is going to have over the long haul is that because of their depth in the roster, they can, they can sort of mold to different styles of play. They have the guys that can do it all. Yeah, it, really well put there. And um, I think uh, in the third period, Konechny laid a nice, clean, open ice hit when he had the opportunity to. This wasn't the Flyers were hitting because they are chasing the game. It's a, a popular analytics thing to say. If you're hitting, that means you don't have the puck. Um, they, I, I don't know what the possession numbers look like. Um in this game, but I imagine it's going to be pretty equal. I, if I had to guess, I'd guess probably the Canadians had a slight advantage in um, just because they're trying to play catch up so much in the third. Um, but before that, it probably was pretty even, but the, the Flyers were taking the opportunity to lay the hit, to make the game hard. Like you say, to show that they had that club in their bag as well and they weren't being dumb about it and to go back to elaine vigno he is he is experienced oh i, I think i started mentioning this heart heart doesn't look like a rookie let's throw out the fact that heart being a rookie not for round one if we are lucky enough to get to the conference finals maybe we can talk about some rookie nerves there stanley cup finals rookie nerves there but for round one and round two is just a follow-up of round one it, no rookie nerves. He's looked phenomenal. He's looked he's looked like a veteran through and through. Um, but Elaine Vigneault has, you know, proven why you hire him. You know, this team, you know, took a shellacking in game two and came out calm in game three. They played a boring game. How fucking hard must it be to get your ass kicked in game two and go, all right, fine, we'll win one nothing. 
you yeah. know, as opposed to trying to to go for the home run pass. And they there were some really strong offensive moments. There were, um, you know, some breakout passes, some um, some sustained effort, uh, sustained control in the Montreal zone, but it was pretty damn calm. You know, now there were mistakes. Now you had Lawton with two awful giveaways. Terrible you know, turnovers. Terrible turnovers. Yeah, it's yeah. Let, let's talk about that. So some things that concern us a, a bit. Um, Lawton, I wonder if he's trying to to stay on line too. You know, him being the guy in the round robin. Um, I think the exhibition game too, but I can't remember that now. But him being the guy on that second line, that second line being the one that really drove the game for the Flyers. And that's not his role, really. He He's a nice utility player. He's a, he's a I don't want to say great utility player. I don't know if such a, such a thing exists, but he's a really good utility player. He can play up and down your lineup. But if he's spending too much time on line two, he's either playing above his head or he got some problems. And I think he was playing above his head. And those two passes and just this, some of the decision-making said to me, like, oh, this is a guy that wants to prove he deserves to be on that second line, which isn't, which isn't great. You know, he's wonderful in your bottom six. And he has been really good on the second line. Kevin Hayes, too. You know, he's gone for one extra pass, maybe two prettiest setup here or there. And I'm a huge Kevin Hayes fan. You're not going to find a, a bigger Kevin Hayes fan than me. And I actually thought I in this game tonight that there were more positive moments from Kevin Hayes than, uh, you know, you saw some shifts where that that take over the, the shift or take over the, the game um you know, where he had that sort of mentality. But then, you know, there were long stretches where he sort of disappeared. And he's at his best, What I feel like, when he's sort of dictating what's happening uh, around him rather than waiting to respond to what's happening mm-hmm. around him. Uh, and I think that maybe that's the problem that him and Lawton may have found themselves in is, you know, when you've when you've gone through a regular season and you, you've gone through the schedule and you're playing different kinds of teams every night, um, I think that, coming out of that round robin oddly enough i feel like montreal is such a different sort of line it's just a different matchup with the way that their forwards forecheck than they had seen in the other in the in the round robin i i think that they're yeah. a much more aggressive forechecking team and i i think that in both cases but more specifically with lawton he would be better served just to try to focus on like being very sound fundamentally and not trying to do too much with the puck or not. You yeah. know what I mean? Like in, in some cases, you know, absorb a hit or, uh, you know, try and hold a puck up or whatever it is and not try and go across ice or, or throw those blind pucks. There was a lot of times where you just saw him sort of like, I don't know if this was Kevin Hayes or if it was Law. I think it was one of them where where they came into the zone and they basically turned themselves around and rather than dump the puck in because there was no place to go, they basically just walked themselves back out of the zone uh, and back to the red line and basically completely interrupted any sort of momentum that they had going into the offensive zone by doing sort of this whoop-dee-doo sort of move. And those were the sorts of things that were like, that's a very clear case where you just, you know, you're in the zone, you're at the top of the defensive 
circle, just d- drop the puck in. At least then it gives your yourself a chance to get set up rather than, you know, and I, the Flyers did a lot of dump and chase. Uh, you know, there was yeah. a there was a little Ken Hitchcock-esque sort of style <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> the, the Flyers do do dump and chase, but it's from a, it's not pure Ken Hitchcock right, style. They right, right. do it. I, I'm, prob- I'm probably overstating it a little bit because I was no, watching no, no. the national feed. I just want you no, you were overstating it, but I mean, you you get to the heart of the matter. I was just saying it, it's dump and aggressive forecheck. And I don't remember specifically the play you're talking about, but it sounds like you're describing Hayes because Hayes loves ragging the puck. He loves, if he doesn't see what he wants, taking a step back. And then it really does throw the defense off kilter or whoever's trying to shadow him. The fact that he pulls it out, yeah, and and um, but uh, on the on the on the opposite side is there were several uh, possessions that Montreal had in the flyer zone that Hayes was able to basically disrupt on his own, where he would yes. he would sort of slide in and take the puck off the stick of uh, of the of the uh, Montreal player and and bring it back, either bring it out to neutral zone or have a full turnover and and have it going the other way, and and that's where he is at his best when he is sort of taking the game to the opposition rather than waiting to respond. Yeah. And it's, um, I think you had mentioned with a lot and like, oh, maybe the, the fundamentals are a little screwy, screwy, which is again, really odd for him because when he came back up from the phantoms for the last time, he came back as a much more complete player. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried. Let me just put, I'm not worried about Lawton. I think it's just trying a little too hard. I'm not worried about Hayes either, especially because Hayes is playing, you know, three quarters of the ice fantastically. Now, it's not the one quarter that's, you know, in the offensive zone right now. And he's not horrible there. He's not horrible by any stretch of the imagination, but he seems to be overthinking it a little too much. And that's the kind of thing that, like, there's going to be one play that's going to just have that piece slide into place that yep. at least that's what it seems to be with a guy like Hayes that once they 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 figure out and get themselves in that right offensive position again that it seems to like oh right if I just this is how I can I can work this team yeah if he just exhales a little you know doing playing the the penalty kill playing that 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 pivotal center role to you know shut down the opposing side to to fight for the puck in the center, in the corners, to to generate plays down the ice. He's been doing all that wonderfully. It's it's the extra pass in the offensive zone. It's the double clutch when instead of taking a shot. And that's just something I've noticed through the, the three games. And I'm a huge Kevin Hayes fan. I, I'm not worried about it. Um and like like another point of concern um is the penalty sorry not the penalty kill the penalty kill has been very good the penalty power kill has play. been very good so what what do you attribute the the problems on the power play to and i i just want to go back i think this will be something that'll stick out in your memory first period they had that back to, that i think it was a double minor or a four minute mm-hmm. penalty um and they the first two minutes of that power play they literally could not get set up in the offensive zone for, for yeah. almost exactly two minutes, they would come into the neutral ice and and be turned around, or they they get just over the blue line, and and Montreal would make a play and, and and dump it back out, and they would they would kept trying to cycle themselves and get set up, and it really was a tale of 
two different penalties. But by the second second part, yeah. they had sort of figured a couple things out and they put a little pressure on. But I will say that my main concern coming out of that is uh, that's the sort of thing at, at that point in the game that Montreal kills off a four minute penalty when you know if you're up 2-0 you you could be in a position to really sort of put the the knife to the throat of that team and Montreal can really take some momentum by by making a big kill yeah. like that uh thankfully it's not how it played out but what do you attribute this and there were other penalties uh, power plays later in the game where again the Flyers just looked like they could not get set up is it how aggressively that Montreal forechecks or is it something about what the Flyers are doing that's not allowing them to get situated in the zone? Well, the, the Montreal forecheck really was a factor, but it's it. Everyone knows what the Flyers are going to do. They tried different looks this year and it led to a lot of, you know, you know, uh, tearing of clothes and and beating of breasts, you know, of why was Giroux on the right side? It doesn't work. Get Giroux back on the left side. Let him quarterback from that side. Get your get yourself Provorov on the point or um, uh, Gostisbehere on the point. Get Voracek down low. Get Katorie in center. And the reason it's easy to, to rattle this off is because that is the winning formula for the Flyers power play. You know it. I know it. Every team in the fucking league knows it. Because we've tried everything else and it's not if it's worked. Yeah, no, no. Nothing else works. So that would be the time to have a power play unit two clicking, which has happened at times this year, but not happening now. And it feels like it's so far removed from when power play unit two was a factor, you know, Nolan Patrick, remember Nolan Patrick, he was supposed to be a factor on that second power play to be the, the Wayne Simmons on the second power play with JVR doing the Wayne Simmons role on the first. It's, it, it's tough, you know, it, it's, tough to get out of the the rut because when the power play works it works it's a matter of everyone knows what you're going to do the key to getting Giroux off his quarterback game on the power play is to aggressively go at him now yeah basically keep the puck away from him even if you know you the other thing don't give him time right don't give him time don't give him time to look around to to move people around now the The other thing thing that i saw montreal doing and i know i don't know if they did it in this first power play or not but they had their times where the flyers would get the the puck in the corner and they would get two flyers down there and they would send all four canadian penalty killers after the flyers and tie up the puck in the corner uh and just eat eat time and then you know when when suddenly it's four on two uh you know they're winning the puck back and clearing it out of the zone now they they were very successful at being able to clear the zone. The Flyers had some problems, took a couple of bad yeah. penalties, or at least one bad penalty, just trying to clear the zone of the puck. Um, so those are sorts of things that are, you know, high-risk sort of maneuvers. All the Flyers mm-hmm. would do is kind of clear that out, and you've, your penalty killers are all totally out of the play. But that's yeah. that's when you're a team that's a, a 12 seed and you're trying to make something happen, you're going to see a team like Montreal who is not feeling any sort of the weight of uh, expectations come out and try to do some things that maybe you wouldn't expect in a playoff series because they're not necessarily by the book. 
Yeah, it's all house money for them. And it's it's been out there for some time. The way to control Giroux on the power play is to pressure him. And the way to get them to stop, I feel like we're talking about football here, is okay, you know, blitz the quarterback, blitz the quarterback, blitz the quarterback. They have no running game. Um, you you got to do the running game. You have to make them respect that you have other tools. So, and, and Giroux's a versatile guy. If he can get around somebody and create a little room and take another you know, take a less pretty shot. You know, things as I was encouraged about was, let's talk about game number two. Every shot was going through Provorov on the point. I mean, you, you could have predicted it. You could have just blocked everybody else and said, hey, you know, shoot at Price all day. He's going to see you and he's going to stop you. We had a lot of different looks today as to who's taking the shot. Now it was a matter of getting it set up and... Yeah, getting getting good shots off, but a lot of different people were shooting. So I'm not as worried about the power play as other people are. But they gotta start scoring soon, because if they don't, it's gonna become a mental hang up. And well, then the that, between, that just hangs with you. This this game going into the second period probably two or three nothing. Uh, it yeah. really is. If you if you have a clicking power play, they had a ton of power play time in the first period. Uh, that's, that's one of those things where in a series like this, you have got to take your opportunities when they're given. If you get a four minute power play in the yeah. first period, by God, if you're the, if you're the, the higher seed, you have got to, you've got to cash in on that or else teams like Montreal, you cannot let them hang around because yeah. you know, weird bounces happen in the playoffs. That's, that's exactly it. The, the other thing that maybe we are, uh, we, we've neglected to talk about is uh, Montreal has Carey Price. He is yeah. a Hall of Fame goaltender. And like you said, if he can see the puck, he will stop the puck, which means yeah. that in order to score, you have got to do some unconventional things and you have got to get deflections and you've got to get traffic in front of him, which are not things that are just, oh, well, the duh, I'll just do it. Like the, all of those things require timing. They require work. They retire. They, they, you know, You've got to you've got to do those things, and, and this is a this is a a Stanley Cup winning goaltender who knows what he's doing. Um, so you know that is and, he has and, and, not and, won the Stanley Cup. Oh, he's not. he's unfortunately won a lot of gold medals, but he has not. He's won never the won the Stanley, Stanley Cup. Cup. I, don't, I, I guess I thought that he won, in one of those runs he'd actually won a Stanley Cup. Well, nope. good thing you're here to correct me. Um, <laughs> but 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 the point is, you know, he's still probably the best penalty penalty killer on the ice. Um, yes. He's a Stanley Cup caliber caliber winning goalie. Like it's not his fault the the Habs haven't won a Stanley Cup. Um and he is locked in. He is you know and and you have to think the whole team knows it. And you have I, I've been screaming about Shea Weber this whole time because especially with that trade for PK Subban, it's like, uh, Montreal's getting hosed. They're going with this Shea Weber contract and I can't believe they're taking it on. And it's like, no, he's really good. He still has a lot of gas in that, that tank. And, and he's a guy that he, you know, he spent most of his career in the Western conference. So I just wasn't used to watching him play as many games as I have since he's moved over to the Eastern conference. But you're right. He, there, there is no other analog, but, but, but Chris Pronger to him. He, He reminds me so much on the ice of, of the way Pronger played the game. 
Yeah, it, it's. I mean, I'd still say Pronger's better because Pronger's Pronger, but I mean, he's right. he's up there. And Carey Price is very similar to Weber in that you start overlooking them. He's the the number one goaltender for Canada for now. Carter Hart's coming for his job, and that's not an exaggeration. Carter Hart will probably be the backup goalie when they go to uh, China uh, for the next Olympics. You know, provided everybody's healthy. Yeah. Um, but four you know, years from there, he might it might be his job. It should be his job. And and I mean, but, is there a sexier job in in hockey than the starting goaltender for? Team Canada. I, I mean, I can't think of a, of a the starting goalie for Team Sweden just because. I mean, the Swedes are sexy people, right? 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 But but, but from an intellectual sexiness, yes. You, no, you are correct. You are correct. <laughs> but Carey Price, Shea Weber. There's a reason these guys are going to be first ballot Hall of Famers. There's a reason these guys anchor the Canadian national team, it, and. Carey Price, I even mentioned. I feel like I mentioned when they returned to play. It's like, oh, Carey Price can steer, steal you a series. And I go, oh, Carey Price didn't even steal the uh, the, the Habs series against the Peng No, Penguins. he didn't. But he's trying his ass off to steal it against the Flyers. I mean, it's, it's you know, it, like tonight's game was playoff hockey. It there it was boring for stretches like if you want to say that but it was neither side relenting and the flyers showed a lot by winning tonight you know they they showed that it's not just going to be we we take it slow and steady and accrue four goals and you get one or two and then we win you know they can show you we can beat you one nothing our phenom against your legend and that's a huge victory that's a huge that's a huge rallying point and hopefully you can carry him to to win because a a 3-1 series is a hell of a lot different than a than a 2-2 series a couple other little notes on the game tonight uh what do you do you credit if if any uh i don't know if you want to put a percentage on it but oscar limblom skated uh in practice tonight and was in the building uh, do you do you give the win? Do you give him a you give him two or three percent? You you think that there's any sort of uh, of a, a lift that you know you're? I mean, like the only thing I could think that could probably get you more fired up than having Oscar back in the building would have been if uh, if Gritty had showed up. <laughs> yes, no, I do. <laughs> it's it'd be. <laughs> Oscar, you're up for the Masterton Trophy. You're an inspiration, but Gritty's here, and he's brought his entourage, and he's got a new belly button piercing. So, uh, so let's so, go one. Uh, let's go out and win one for the grit. <laughs> win one for the gritter. Um, <laughs> I, I certainly think that intangible aspect in tonight's game certainly helped them. I think you know you alluded to it earlier. I the the Habs certainly came out to play for Claude Julian last game. There's no question about it. Um, and I, I think if the Flyers can buy in, you know, they've been really playing hard for Oscar this whole time. 
listen to any of the players talk like Elaine Vigno, like Oscar Lindblom has given him a new lease on life. He's like, Oh, look at him smile. It lights up the room. You know, he is sunshine. He is my life. You know, he's like writing Shakespearean sonnets about the kid. And I think there's something to that for him to sit in the stands tonight and to skate with the team. And if you haven't seen the clip, Check it out. It's on the Flyers Twitter. Um, I'm sure it's everywhere. It's probably on the news tonight where he's leading the stretches, which is something there is a stretch leader. Maybe it's taken on more prominence under AV. I don't quite know. But Lindbaum was leading in the stretches and the stick taps that he got were insane. Like, TK was, like, trying to break his stick on the ice. The heart was just slamming his stick on the ice because this does mean something to the guys and you know this these intangibles do add up there's something that you can't put your finger on you know gabe kapler if you want to complain about this you you know you can find us at potadelphia but intangibles do mean something and Maybe not in tonight's win, maybe a little in tonight's win, but the longer this playoff series goes, so this longer this playoff run goes, if they can get to the second round and go, Oscar might be able to play in round three. You know, like it's probably not. I mean, that's that the sort of thing that gives now, me but... goosebumps. I, I can only imagine if this is your your teammate and your friend who uh, you know, you're yeah. talking about how that might be. And, and I will tell you, I think maybe if, if there's nothing else to this, but uh, certainly after watching the the, the, the video the, the, that um, they posted today, I think what it is, maybe the thing that grounds them as a team around Oscar is he wasn't just like, Rudy uh, go right winger. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't, he wasn't just some guy. Oscar Lindblom was leading the flyers and scoring when he got sick. This was a guy who not only was playing well, he, he was having a a breakout season. This was a guy that was on pace for a huge productive year. And when you see someone who you, uh, you know, you're becoming reliant on and who you see is blossoming, to kind of be be immediately cut down and sort of like hit with with that block of kryptonite, um, and and somebody who is by all accounts loves just playing the game for for the simple joy of being out there on the ice and being around the team. So when you see that sort of you know and the, his entire career at risk, I think that that probably you know for for the rest of the team sort of grounds them in the idea of that this is not permanent, that this is. You know, you 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 are not guaranteed a long career in this game, and that you need to uh, exert your maximum effort and play with joy. Um, yeah. You know, every every chance that you get, and I feel like he is literally a physical embodiment or physical reminder of to them that you know you may never go back to the playoffs. This, this you know, there are guys that that you know may not. This may be their run. You know. So you're not guaranteed anything. So so make the best of it. Yeah, it's you, you touch on so many good points again there, Gene. It's I was going to bring up that he was the leading scorer on the team when he left, and this was a breakout season for him. He was a strong possession driver. You know, Oscar Lindblom was I think second to Couturier in 
like the, the you know the straw that stirs the drink if he's on your line you know you're going to have the puck and you're going to be hard to play against and the flyers lost that from their team this year and still end up being the team that they were and this was a contract year for for Lindblom and he got one and he got a good one but it could have been bigger like we could be talking about like how do we fit him under the cap right you know with with the cap staying stagnant and we talk about this being a young team even the oldest guys are relatively young i mean even the oldest guys in the team are younger than you and i gene sure and it's if you ever watch the the flyers like 40th anniversary documentary al morgani talks a lot about pelly limberg and i do believe they were like actual friends in real life not just relationship between player and reporter but another swede that touched the team and when when pelly died you know he mentioned that this was the first time that a lot of these guys lost somebody they were so young that they this this didn't even include grandparents that they lost. This is the first person they know that died. And thank God that's not the case with Oscar. Right. You know, we're not talking about that right now. I mean, things can happen, whatever. I'm not writing off him as perfectly 100% healthy right now. But we're not talking about that narrative. But we're talking about a friend of yours has cancer. You know, you know having 20 years on some of these kids, you know, 15 years on most, you know, 10 years on almost all the rest. It's, I have limited experience with that. I mean, I've experienced it, but not so much that's commonplace. This is the first time we're going to know this could, you know, this, uh, to, to put it in this way, these kids probably still refer to themselves as kids. Right. You know, I found that like funny of like colleagues and coworkers where they're in their young 20s, like, oh, this kid from so and so. And they didn't mean it as dismissive. It was just a holdover from high school. Right. They referred to one another as kids. These flyers do the same damn thing. And, and this is a peer. This is, this showed that like this can affect them. This the, the guy will probably win the Masterton trophy. So well, and I that... and I think when they first heard about the diagnosis, especially the type of cancer that it is, this is the yeah. sort of thing that even under the best of circumstances is not I mean, it, you have brittle bones. That is not yeah. ideal, you know, and and he had it in his chest. So th- those are yeah. not ideal combinations of factors to be playing in the NHL. You know what I mean? Like the idea yeah. that not only may he return, but that he could return during this playoff run, that he's going to be under contract and that there is a certain amount of, you know, the Flyers didn't give him that contract because they pity him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they really believe not only is he going to come back, but he's going to come back and contribute. Uh, you don't give a guy a three-year pity contract. That's, that's, that's <laughs> not something that you do. Um, you know, they really believe that this is a guy that's going to come back and, and contribute. So this is them, you know, to a certain degree, they're, they're seeing somebody who is fighting as hard as he is just to be able to be allowed to compete, to, to overcome what his body has sort of put him through to come back and not only compete, but be able to compete again on the highest level of your sport. Uh, I think that it, it has to be inspirational uh, to look around the locker room and be like, I, I have to at least give my maximum effort. If, 
I've watched Oscar go through everything that he's done. I just don't see how you can get down on yourself and be like, well, you know, I'm just not good enough. No, like that's yeah. just not that's just not an answer that can be in that locker room right now. And if there was ever an environment where a coach like uh, Elaine Vigneault, who I think is part of the reasons why he's sort of latched onto that, is because. I mean, when 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 you're gifted that sort of a a lightning rod, you don't you don't toss it out with the trash. You don't bar him from the building. You do everything you possibly can to make sure that he's tra- you know traveling and in your bubble and with the team. Yeah, and it, how many quarantines has this dude gone through? How many countries has he been in? He's went from the United States to Sweden. Both of them not knocking out of park with uh with um. Uh, COVID, and then to Toronto, which is, I mean, the, uh, all cheers to the the NHL bubble, man. They're doing a wonderful job. This is as safe as he's been. You know, if only we knew that the that the tournament was going to be in this bubble, he should have gone there to to go right away. Although, you know, they talk about you know that bit of like kismet. You know, he's got some of the best you know cancer specialists in the world in Philadelphia. Yeah. But yeah, you're 100% right. You're 100% right. Just to see all that he has gone through to come here with a smile through his face, you know, that's that's got to lift your spirits. It's got to go, well, hey, this is hard for me. And it's it is hard for these guys. These guys are human beings. I I can't think of what it would be like to be Brian Elliott to leave your two kids behind because his two kids are uh, they're um his youngest is younger than mine, but they're not terribly far removed from the age of my kids. I couldn't do it. I literally couldn't do it. Well, like, and, I, and we've, I, we've seen other players in the league just, just you know, as does... To grasp. Right, you know, and that's a guy who's got a lot of playoff experience that, that Boston's yeah. leaning on, and it just it overwhelmed him. And I, and I have not seen anyone at all criticize the decision that he's made. I mean, maybe there are some some Boston fans that I'm not aware of. I'm sure some people probably disagree. But for the most part, I've seen a general, you know, acceptance of certainly, you know, how difficult it must be to have been out of, be away for this long to be away, apart from his family. We yeah. all have some, you know, now have some idea of what it, what it means to be uh, held separate from people that you care about. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, we've all experienced it in, in some way or another, or at least you should have. If you haven't, isolate, wear a mask. If you, if you see all of your friends every weekend, you're part of the damn problem. Um, but, but, you know, maybe maybe him being there lets Giroux go, yeah, I miss my son's first birthday, and that sucks for me, but Gavin was happy. I do feel a bit creepy knowing his son's name. Yeah. Um, and Gavin, but Gavin had a good birthday. I don't know that he had a good birthday. Now I feel like I need to justify myself. I have no idea. I don't exactly know when his birthday was, but I do know that Claude is missing it. I don't know what flavor the cake was, but I do know that it had orange frosting. Um, we've gone too far. But but I mean, maybe but, a better example for the Flyers specifically is Sean Couturier's daughter is how old? We're still talking. She in... was three days old when he left. So, you know, I, I can't like that there. That was the one that was like, man, Couturier is not not coming. He's not. There's just no way. Like, 
a, a three-day-old baby, and you're going to be like, I'll see you when the kid's five months old, six months old? <laughs> like... <laughs> I mean, because yeah, it's it, one of these things where, like, we're going to, you know, if you run the table here, as we hope the Flyers do, you're then, what, four weeks from, from training camp? I, is it even that long? Wait, there, the, if the Flyers run the, the table, the season will end in October. The season's going to resume in December. So, yeah, it's like four weeks from training camp. If it happens, if the season resumes, that's who who even knows what it's gonna look like then. the nice thing is that you can say to your daughter when she's three or four yeah daddy missed uh a lot of firsts but you don't remember them and we have our name on the stanley cup yeah you uh, honestly i gave a lot of thought of this the leaving at three days old was probably more traumatic most traumatic for his wife um now hopefully she had help there i'm sure she did um i'm sure it was tough on on sean but having the experience of being a new parent and having it be three days in <laughs> business trip at that time might've been, might've been intriguing. <laughs> you go, I don't know how I'm going to do this. You really go like, wow, this is really life changing. But on a serious note, I couldn't, it, on, just to keep things in, in perspective here, if the flyers make it to the Eastern conference finals, the family should be reunited in Edmonton. I okay. think that's the plan so that they will be able to see their families. So even that's like two whole months. Yeah, that is. Um, yeah, I forget that they're going to rejoin in Edmonton and and certainly there would be more room to be able to start maybe bring some some other people. You could start them self-isolating or whatever. You know, you'd have yeah. time to make that happen. But but on the serious note, though, I think about this way, you know, my oldest nephew, um, who is. 22 now <laughs> but um uh 21 22 sorry bobby i forget um but when i went off to college he was six months old let's say and i come back for christmas you know he's about nine months old when i go off to college come back for christmas he's about a year he doesn't recognize me because why would he? He went right. for nine months to 12 months. We weren't seeing each other every day before then. He hasn't recognized me. He's a bit skittish around me where he wasn't around my brothers. And that hurt a little. Yeah. And this was, I was a, I was an 18-year-old kid and this was my nephew and I didn't, you know, I didn't have that paternalistic feel. I think it might be really tough to be, you know, taking over parenting duties and it's like, hey, Sean, your daughter's crying and he's going to go let me help her. And he's not going to know what to do. Right. You know, and other people are. It's going to be not just his wife, but the nanny. Yeah, The sure. nanny's going to be a better parent than he is. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's the, these are the sorts of things that like, you know, th these are real, you forget sometimes. And I know that there's conversations throughout with, uh, with other teams and other sports um, and maybe this can kind of lead into one of the other things I wanted to touch on before we 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 head to the penalty box. Um, you know, sports look very different right now. Uh, you know, and I think that there's th there's been a lot of talk about uh, how the NBA ratings numbers is, are down, and I think that there's a lot of factors that contribute to it. A lot of people like to say it's because it's been politicized. I think part of the problem is that um, when the NHL came back, they almost came they almost came back to a certain degree right into the playoffs and the stakes yeah. were immediately high. And I think that the NBA kind of missed there when they came back with sort of a, a little bit of an extended regular season. 
not that I don't think that uh, the product has suffered greatly. The the NBA games that I have watched, I, I thought both the presentation and the quality of play have been been fantastic. It's just the stakes were not the same as when I was watching uh, hockey. They just weren't. It just was different. Uh, I think that baseball had the advantage coming back uh, because this is when baseball should be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you you have you're, you're coming back into baseball, uh, but uh, perhaps more than the other um, other sports, I've noticed a couple of quirky things about baseball. One of which, and I don't know if you've noticed any of these yourself, Chuck. Um, one of them being that when at the end of the game, after the the the, the game is complete, and normally you see the team sort of like wrap back around itself, uh, usually the home team, to, to give themselves the, 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 the handshake line or the high-five line. Uh, the Phillies, in particular, have taken to doing a couple of fist bumps, but mostly it is a line of hats that they tap hats, um, whereas that would look kind of bizarre under other circumstances. <laughs> uh, I actually think it's kind of a really classy... Uh, really classy way to kind of maintain certain traditions, but also... And more than anything, I think it's, uh, you know, to a certain degree, you're being careful, but uh, you're also an example to other little league teams that are probably going through the same thing. And when you see your heroes doing it that way, it's a lot cooler, for lack of a better term. It's a lot more palatable if your little league coach is saying, like, you can't high five your friend, but your friend, but you can you can tap hats. Um, mm -hmm. And if that's what you see Bryce Harper and JT Realmuto doing well, then, yeah, that's what I want to do. You know what I mean? You become a lot more comfortable with stuff like that. The same thing if you look around in the dugout, the way that they're they're doing these sorts of celebrations. There's the occasional air high five. There's the elbow bumps and stuff like that. Um, I think that there's a, a pair that they'll actually tap shoes. Um, so, you know, they're, they're showing some some certain uh, – some different ways in order to, 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 to celebrate and, and keep, the you know, some normalcy in the game. Um, I don't know. Have you have you know have you picked up on anything else that you've noticed in either in hockey or in 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 basketball or baseball that you've that you've sort of seen that has uh, added a new flavor or a new dimension into this weird world we're living in? Not with the the celebrations of of the teams. You know, I didn't notice. I noticed the tapping of the hats, like the hat high five sort of thing. But it didn't really register with me until you brought it up to me before the show. And then I was like, oh, yeah, they do do that. And I do like it. It was because it's odd because I, I don't recall ever seeing it before. But it didn't jump out to me as odd until you mentioned it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, this is new. And I did think the exact same thing you did. of Like, oh, here's something that, you know, might carry on outside of COVID-19 might carry on outside of 2020 that they're, that they're doing it this way. Um, hockey. I think they're just really confident in the bubble. So it's like, you know what? We're all the celebrations seem pretty darn, pretty darn similar. I mean, I uh, to a certain degree also there. you're automatically wearing sort of a face shield and mm -hmm. uh, more than anything, they're all wearing gloves, you know, automatically. So uh, you know, yeah, you, nobody's taking when they celebrate a goal, you're not taking off your glove, licking your hand and going down the road. You, right. you, you have just the, the hockey I mean, glove there. I mean, they aren't sitting six feet apart on the bench, um, no. which I didn't expect them to in hockey. You can't really the way that the hockey is shifted. So it was super important that the bubble be the way that it is, because there wasn't really a way to keep them apart. <laughs> 
the the one thing i i look at and i kind of hope really does continue is involving fans from a distance and i think the nba does it best with their little like you know around the horn virtual head fans in there that if you can bring that in as a part of the experience and have it be by lottery, by essay competition, by whatever, I don't care. But to be able to bring in somebody who can't go to the game, be it for the, the COVID-19 or because they can't afford it, or you know, to have fans in the view screen so that you can see people at home. You know, we have the technology. We do it every day now that, that these players, even in a regular season, like, think to the, the Flyers' uh, 2010 run. You, the Wells Fargo Center was filled to the brim, you know, or maybe it was Wachovia Center at that time, but it was filled to the brim of people celebrating the, the Game 7 win over the Bruins. If you can pipe that in, you know, like, hey, here's the Flyers at home winning this round, and here we go to Xfinity Live. And not just Xfinity Live, but everybody's homes. Yeah. You know, to really bring that in to to make people feel part of it, I I can't remember. I'm sure I must have mentioned it that my kids doing their Let's Go Flyers chant had made it into like the the playoff hype video, and I get to see them every every uh, local broadcast because they're using it to sell tickets. Yeah, I want my share. Um, but that's so cool. This was just. And the video happened to come. It came about before this. It just happened to be early March. And I was going to a game. I think I told them I was just hanging out with my friend Dave. They did not know I was going to the game. And they wanted to be in Flyers gear too. And I put them in Flyers gear. And we did a little chant. And I recorded it. But the fact that that they could be a part of it. And the fact that you we can remove from this gatekeeping that says, hey, you can't afford you know courtside tickets but we might have the little corners in the nba you know people real people will sit on top of you but your face can be down there yeah that the fact that we can do zoom virtual conferences and bring people over from all over the world to celebrate together and feel like you're there if that carries on i'll be i'll be pumped that'd be amazing that'd be amazing i, I will say it would be a hell of a lot more interesting than uh, than seeing as much advertising as is forced upon us by all those different. We certainly have the technology. I mean, um, to to put video all kinds of places that you would never expect. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I think that those are those are all things that I really do hope that uh, do carry on. And and like you were saying, uh, almost to a certain degree, like the literal gatekeeping. Uh, something we talked a little bit about last week. We were talking about. Um, the pandemic crew that hangs out in center field at Phillies games. And we were talking about how, uh, you know, they were able to kind of sort of mentally get into some of the, the Yankees <laughs> heads. And I have to say that, um, you know, Aaron Boone has sort of created a monster, like for lack of a better yeah. term. And uh, the, the crew has gotten bigger and louder. Uh, I think the game um, Saturday night, there was a head count of almost 50 people. There were pictures that had gone out where there are folks that are out in that by that center field gate. There are ladders of all shapes and sizes where folks are climbing up and down uh, and watching 
live baseball to a certain degree. And a lot of it is just people that are socially distant for the most part, um, you know, in these little pockets where they're sitting in their lawn chairs. Some of them are listening to, to, to radios or they have the they have the the feed uh, up on their phone and they just want to be there and be Phillies fans. It's not even that this team is, is so electrifying, although they've had a great, (laughs) they had a good week this week to a certain degree, Uh, a good and bad week. If you go back to the Oreo series, Um, but you know, they're home and they're there and it's, it's to a certain degree. A lot of people may say that when the, you know, this is always going to be an Eagles town. Uh, But you know, one of the magic things about baseball, if you go back even to the earliest depictions, you, you see those pictures along those fences of those old ballparks where you see kids, uh, you know, that didn't have the dime or whatever it was to go through the turnstile that would, would be at the backs of those of those stadiums looking through fences, looking through peepholes. There are political cartoons that have that going back into the, the, the early part of last century. Uh, you think about Wrigley Field, how, uh, you know, and sadly how that became monetized, but there used to be people yeah. that would just watch the Cubs from their windows, from, from their homes. Uh, there's a certain element of this uh, fandemic crew that is the embodiment of uh, you may say that we, we we may not be allowed in, but there's there's no way that we're not going to um, let us let the the Phillies literally know that we have their backs. Um, yeah. And if you listen to the way that 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 crew has has played those air horns, they know when to to fire one off. They they know they know what's going on, and it's it's a really cool phenomenon. I hope that it becomes um, a national story. Uh, so that it, it can sort of always, I'm always looking for ways to counterbalance some of the Negadelphia stuff. That's a great point. And it's, I hope it grows big enough to be a national story before they shut it down. Because if it gets too big, they're going to have to, yeah, to yeah, shut yeah. it down. Right, right. But A, love the name, Fandemic, cracks me up every time. The I don't like the, you know, labeling you know karen as a dismissive term but the karen boone (laughs) photo they had with him on the phone was hilarious and it really does speak to that that philly attitude the the philly baseball fandom you know that you know potadelphia we're nothing if not a baseball podcast we're just waiting for the damn team to be good right um (laughs) you know it's it's where the venn diagram of me you and dave you know, overlaps the the most. Um, but I love it. I love it. It is Philadelphia's knowledgeable baseball fans. You can't keep us away. It's, and I really do hope that this gets to be, you know, part of the story. And, you know, you think of Wrigleyville, uh, was it Yawkey Way, uh, upside, outside Fenway, you know, the, or Yawkey, whatever the name of the street is, but just outside of Fenway where you can just clamor in and go, I can't see the game, but I can, I can huddle outside of it and we can hear it, you know? Right. And, and the idea of you, you can keep us out and yeah, this is all well and good, but we have our air horns and we have our radios and we're going to be part of this game, whether you want us to be or not. Right. That That's the Philadelphia sphere. And that's, well, and that's it's, sports, it's one of those man. things that's why we where do this. I think that, uh, you know, Aaron Boone expected that everybody was just going to be polite when he came through Philadelphia and, 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 and that if he told us to shut up, that we would just be like, okay, Mr. Boone, we'll, we'll be quiet now. Uh, that's just not, especially if you're, especially if you're from New York, like that's just, that's just not, that's just not how it goes, you know? No. 
No, you should know better. You should really know better, and and, and you should expect more from Philadelphia. You know, if if you don't expect us to be, you know, charmingly dickish, like <laughs> or dickishly charming, you know, it, it, your expectations are way off. Right. So, uh, speaking of keeping a, uh, you can't keep us out. Uh, maybe there are some people that need to be let in to Chuck's penalty box. Oh, very good. Yes, it's time for Chuck's penalty box, and we're we're that is a weak whistle, but we're going a little rogue. So, Gene, Gene, who is in your penalty box this evening? In my penalty box this evening, uh. Something called, I believe it's called Rally Sports LLC. I don't know. Have you ever heard of Rally Sports LLC? Are, are they the people that do Rally House? Like, no, no, then I, I haven't heard of them. No. Okay, so the, this is the concept. Uh, have you ever wanted a Honus Wagner baseball card, or perhaps a Babe Ruth? Uh, 1933 or Ty Cobb uh, baseball card, or perhaps you wanted uh, your own Super Bowl ring or gold medal from the Olympics. Have you ever wanted one of those? Well, well, certainly. Who hasn't? Who hasn't aspired to that that sort of greatness or 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 luck or happenstance? Well, I... well, Rally Sports LLC, and I hope that I'm quoting this right, um, which is not affiliated with those wonderful uh, stores that are local that um, that have you know, the name rally, this is, this is a company that has memorabilia, sports memorabilia, specifically a lot of these high dollar baseball cards. And what they do is they will sell it like stock. So what you do is they put up initial offering. So let's say they value a Honus Wagner baseball card at a particular price. And they say, we're going to offer it for $700,000. $700,000. I'm just throwing a number out there. And, you know, okay. the initial the initial buy-in is a particular price. It's it's $100 a share. So that's how oh many shares gosh. would exist. So you could then buy in for whatever amount of shares you want to buy into this baseball card, and then you would own a piece of this Honus Wagner baseball card. Now, that does not mean that for, uh, you know, three weeks out of the year, you get to physically be in possession <laughs> Of the Honus Wagner baseball card, you simply own the uh, a piece of a Honus Wagner baseball card that you never get to see, you never get to mm-hmm. touch, you don't have any actual involvement or emotional relationship with you with it. It is simply a a vehicle of uh, for your capital, uh, and then the idea being that it creates a sort of pseudo stock market so that you can trade and create a portfolio of sports memorabilia that you own stock in that you can then trade as the value of these pieces of memorabilia rise and fall. So, uh, you know, think of it as a incredibly, incredibly, incredibly volatile stock market, which is even <laughs> less predictable than the actual stock market. Because let's say that you had put a huge chunk of money in an OJ Simpson uh, Heisman trophy. Well, I will tell you probably what that would have been valued at in 1990 versus what it was valued at in 1994 might be two very different things. Um, so for that, for the fact that they, there is something that exists that is such the embodiment to me of the, the, uh, the deadly sin concept of greed 
as 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 buying in to a a a very a percentage of a piece of memorabilia that you have no physical or emotional attachment to uh that just that that kind of idea of greed just needs to be put in some sort of penalty box all right so rally uh llc rally sports llc and what might be a pyramid scheme which is definitely not under the oversight of finra or sec or anybody who protects you when you invest in the stock market um you are going away to white collar prison you are getting a three-month term um you get conjugal visits you get uh cable with hbo cinemax showtime and stars um you get all of the major sports packages but you are going away to white collar prison because this is clearly some sort of embezzlement or fraud or something of the like rally sports they're going away for defrauding a fan base chuck who is in your penalty box after you this blow that whistle, whistle. mechanism. <laughs> do, 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 do. This is the second time we've had to come up with like really horrible whistles. So to go from something silly to something not silly, but I'll try to keep it light spirit, uh, lighthearted. Uh, I am putting in the LA Kings mascot, Bailey. Now, you hear mascots, you hear potted off, you're going to think funny. Um, get that out of your head. No, this, this, uh, is, this is not funny. No, Bailey has been suspended by the LA Kings after a sexual harassment lawsuit has, has emerged. And Bailey, um, who is portrayed by someone by the name of Tim Smith, um, is being accused of perpetuating culture of inappropriate behavior, uh, sexual harassment towards the uh, ICE team or uh, the uh, King's ICE crew. And um, he is being sued by a person, I believe uh, his accuser's name is uh, Anonymous, um, that it's a, a systematic and culture of harassment. And the, the main reason I'm putting there, Bailey there is because if you remember, one of the biggest outspoken critics of Gritty was Bailey. He's come up on this show before. And I was like, what is this dude's problem? Because not like, only oh, is he is he is he the, the best friend of Bailey the mascot, he's also like their head marketing guy. Oh yeah, he he he's like um, part of the in-game entertainment. You know, I, I imagine the Flyers' equipment is going to be like the Flyers' equivalent would be like the dance team, all the people you see on screen in-game, trying to rally people up, trying to you know sell the the fifty-fifty tickets, all that sort of thing. The the best friend of Bailey, as Gene put it, this creep used it to just be an asshole to sexually harass, to intimidate, to get someone fired. Um, I, I believe she either quit and then was rehired and then fired. It was it was just a mess. And to think back to this guy just hurling accusations of gritty to this, gritty to that, and it all just becomes transparent, you know, uh, abundantly clear of just being an awful person, just projecting out onto other people 
all these crappy things that you do. So Bailey and your friend, uh, Mr. Smith, Matt Smith, was it? I know too many Matt Smiths. Uh, oh, crap. What is your name? Oh, now I feel bad for all the Matt Smiths I know. Tim Smith. Tim Smith. Not Matt Smith. Not the Doctor Who. But Tim Smith and his friend Bailey, you're going in the penalty box for perpetuating a culture of harassment and just being a bad human being to begin with. And I don't have the whistle cue anymore. So Imagine a whistle sound. Uh, that's all the time <laughs> that we have uh, for you today on Potadelphia. Uh, we'll be back next Monday. We'll be talking about the Sixers and Celtics series. Uh, hopefully, we'll be talking about um, some more Flyers hockey that is uh, going to be coming uh, to get us through the rest of the summer. We'll be talking about the Phillies' first extended road trip of the year. They're headed to Boston. Uh, I think they left after the game today, so that'll be exciting to see them in a stadium that's not Citizens Bank Park, uh, which is a weird thing to even contemplate that it's August and we haven't seen them on the road yet. Um, but yeah, and if you have any time in your podcast listening week, day, hour, uh, check out our sister show, The Whip Around. They put out new episodes every week on Wednesdays, uh, and they will fulfill your uh, new uh, your weird news needs as well as scratch that strange news itch so to speak um, <laughs> hopefully we'll be back as a three-headed monster again next week but uh, hopefully uh, Chuck and I held up our uh, our ends of the pillars uh, we are out of here